different things about how we act and behave, how we screen uh, volunteers, police checks, all those. Uh, even our architecture and, and how things work in classrooms for lines of sight and all those types of things. So there's a preventative mether, uh, measure so that we make sure that we have a safe space for our kids and for our volunteers to uh, do our best to keep the possibility from any harm coming to our kids, teens, or vulnerable adults or false accusations against our volunteers. So there's a preventative measure to that, but there's a second part to that, and it's that of preparation. Because to say we love kids and, and teens and, you know, they matter to us, if we're not prepared, should something happen, saying, well, you know, we'll just kind of figure it out as we go isn't really a good, <laughs> good plan. And so we have prevention and we have uh, preparation. And pretty much every week in Daniel, we're in week number six in Daniel chapter six this week, I've talked about, or Jake talked about, this idea of preparation, things that happened ahead of time that meant Daniel made certain choices. He prepared himself, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they prepared in advance to follow God in a certain way. And I often refer to it in terms of first responders and how they train, because if you don't get training in as many scenarios as possible, when you hit that emergency, there's enough unknown. But there are things you do know. And there's instinct that can kick in when you're in trouble and trial. And Daniel finds himself there regularly. Daniel has a choice in chapter 6. And we're not going any further in Daniel, not because the rest of the prophetic stuff isn't important, but uh, we're going to focus simply on Daniel's life. And today we look at prayer. Next week we're going to look at prayer, not specifically in Daniel, and then move on through a number of other things throughout June, and then we head into the Psalms for summer. But in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is faced with a choice again. The, the amazing thing about Scripture is that there's a lot of repetition there. Different people, different settings, but similar happenings, similar choices. And I think part of it is just our general human experience. You know, nothing is new under the sun, basically. And so as we go through life, we can look into God's word and find maybe not the specific you're going through, but you can find something like what you're going through. And oftentimes you can find several instances of it where a person or people make certain choices and you see the negative impact of a decision to go against God and the positive impact uh, of a decision to go with God. Not that a decision to go God's way works out initially well, but in the long term, it's the right thing. And we f see a little microcosm of that in Daniel because each chapter, it really replays the same scenario, different things. And there's, there's two questions I really want us to ask today. Number one is, will you choose to follow Jesus when the stakes are high? Like, will you choose to follow Jesus when the stakes are high? And second, how will you prepare to do that? So will you, like, think about yourself today. So if today you went home and something in life just went sideways, right? It's all upside down and there's some choice of faith. You have a choice to follow God's way and suffer some consequences because that's not what others want you to do or go along with the way of the world or the way of others and 
have some general ease, but know that you're making the wrong choice. If you had to do that today, what would you choose? And how would you prepare to make that choice? A little bit of background here. So by chapter 6 in Daniel, Daniel has been in Babylon and now the Medo-Persian Empire for about 70 years. He's well over 80 or somewhere thereabouts. He's been there a long time. And he's been through several empires, several kings. First with the Babylonians, he had Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, uh, possibly uh, a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. We don't, we don't know. And then the Medo-Persian Empire uh, came and King Darius. And the interesting thing about um, Daniel is that with each empire, with each kingdom, as predicted back a few chapters in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel has received blessing. Though each chapter we've seen him faced with this life or death choice to follow the way of Jesus or not. He's been blessed through it all. And each successive ruler has put him in a position of power. And Daniel had used that well. And through his wisdom and humility, he just continues to do well. And in, in chapter 6 here, this new king, this King Darius, he shows some real good leadership chops. Like he knows what he's doing. And so he divides his whole kingdom up, which is pretty much the known world, because they continue to assimilate uh, other cultures and conquer and all these types of things. And he divides them up into 120 provinces. So we think Canada, you know, has a lot of provinces, or the, the states has 50, right? We, we think that that's a lot, but 120. And over each of these provinces, he, get, he uh, places an administrator. They're known as satraps. And over all of these administrators or these officials, he has three men who oversee them all. I, I don't know if he divides them up in, you know, 40s or what he does, but there's three over all those 120, and Daniel is one of them. And Daniel does so well deciding, ruling, leading, as he always had because God has blessed him with that gifting and because he's used that gifting in concert with God, partnership with God. He's listened to God. So God has blessed him uh, and rewarded him, but also blessed him and gifted him with that as part of who he is. And so King Darius is ready. He's making preparations at the beginning of the chapter to set Daniel above them all. So now there's going to be 120 officials. There's going to be three over them, and there's going to be Daniel, and then there's going to be uh, King Darius. And we can see echoes of other Old Testament narratives, other times when leaders did this. Moses was frustrated with how to lead the, the million or so people he was leading, and he didn't have any system. And his father-in-law came to him and said, break them up into tens and hundreds, thousands, put leaders over them, and broke them up into kind of provinces, tribes, things like that. It's a wise leadership way to do it. You can't do it all. And then we see uh, Joseph blessed by God in a as a captive in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh because of the way he followed God. And so that's where Daniel's at when we hit chapter 1. So much like Joseph, you know, there's people <laughs> against him. And we see this narrative again and again and again. And these officials, these satraps, and, and these three men kind of at the top, really didn't like having a conquered Jew elevated to that position. You know, it, it's their culture, it's their people, and why should this guy, 
who follows a different god get the favor of the king and we don't. And so they, it seems like they had tried time and time again to get the king to turn against Daniel. It seemed like they tried all these different ways, but they couldn't because Daniel never, ever made a mistake. Like, ever. Everything he did was exactly the way it should be and better than anyone else. So no wonder this king is like, get this guy to be my right-hand man. I don't know if that's me, but maybe I got to stop moving. I'm wiggling a wire or something. I'll stand more still, okay? Uh, so he's, he's the right-hand man almost. And these officials have tried everything to betray him, to get the king to turn against him. And when they realize there's no natural way to do that, because Daniel never makes a mistake, they come up with a plan, and they use his religion against him. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to hop through a number of different verses. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, but we'll focus in on a few key verses, starting with verse 5. So they, these officials, concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for ac accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So they went to the king, and they have the king sign this decree for 30 days. Because they know that this king and the kings before him in their religious system, they believe this king was set in place by the gods. And in fact, because he was a representative of the gods, was a god himself. And so there's some pride there with these kings. It happened in Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Belshazzar. He, I'm saying that all wrong. Uh, he, he was proud as well, set himself above God and lost his kingdom in chapter 5. And thanks to Jake for taking us through that. Uh, last week. And now it's the same thing. And these officials really lean into this king's pride and say, oh, great king, you know, like for the next 30 days, make an edict so that no one can pray to anyone else but you. And the king thinks that's a great idea. And so verse 8 and 9, and now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. Set in stone an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So there was a certain kind of law, a certain kind of decree that a king could make that cannot be undone by anyone, anywhere, anyhow. And they have him sign this thing for the next 30 days. Anyone prays to any other god other than King Darius, he'll be put to death in the lion's den. Now, this is one of the most common or well-known chapters in Daniel. But what I want us to focus on today is answering those two questions for us. It's, how would you choose? Would you choose Jesus' way if, if your life was on the line? And what would you do to prepare? Now, King Darius, verse 9, so King Darius signed the law. Remember, King Darius has no idea what's behind this. He doesn't understand the scheming. He still really likes Daniel. And in Daniel 6.10, we read this. But when Daniel learned that a law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So I want to look at the response to this decree of three people. We'll start with Daniel. Daniel's response to this decree was that he prayed. Let me clarify that. Daniel didn't just go out in a panic and pray. It wasn't like Daniel was going about his life and God was sort of a part of it and kind of went to church once in a while, sort of prayed once in a while, 
had a life that, you know, kind of revolved around God, but wasn't really centered on him. But now the chips are down. Now the stakes are high, and he needs God. He's in a panic, so he's going to start reading his Bible. And he just joined a small group, and he's going to give a bunch of stuff to the poor, and he really wants to get in God's good books, so he goes home and prays. That's not what Daniel does. He goes home, and he prays three times a day as usual. The thing that under is underneath all this is the very fact that Daniel has this habit over 70 years. Remember, he's not in the promised land. So he doesn't have the temple and the sacrifice and the whole of his culture wrapped around these practices. Now, he grew up knowing that and he has kept true to God for about 70-ish years without all of that, without the culture, the society, the draw of anyone but God himself. And the private life of Daniel had so much fruit in the public life of Daniel that the officials used that as the only way they could get to him, right? So that, as usual, that's a big deal. Daniel went home and prayed as usual. The very thing that he did regularly was the very thing the officials were trying to use against him, and he just continued to do. His faith was so solid, so deep, so strong, he just continued so he prayed. What about others? Well, the officials, well, they plotted. They continued to plot. Their response to this king was like, go time. Let's go. So they go and they find Daniel praying, and they go back to the king. And, and what they do is really, really devious. Okay, so they go to the king, and they say, you know, like, oh, great king, did you not set about this decree that cannot be revoked? And the king says, yes. And does your decree not say that if anyone who prays to anyone else, uh, they'll be put to death? And the king agrees. He, he, he agrees to their question. He, you know, validates their thoughts about his decree. And then they, the penny drops, right? Then they say, well, we want to tell you about your boy, Daniel, your guy, the, the man you really appreciate, the guy you keep raising up and up and up. He went home after you did this decree. And he prayed. So the, Daniel's response to this decree, to this difficult choice, was to pray, as he's always done. He had some preparation. He just continued his pattern. The officials, they plotted. They were scheming already to get what they wanted. And they were trying to use all of this to make things work the way they wanted. They took matters into their own hands. What about the king? How did the king respond? Well, the king was deeply troubled. Actually, I would say he panicked. Verse 14 to 16, we'll just read 16. Uh, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. In verse 14 and 15, though, the king is said to be going here and there and everywhere he can, talking to anyone he can all day long. From the moment those officials tricked him and said, we caught Daniel praying and the king had nothing he can do. Okay, don't imagine him as a king in a castle over this little kind of tiny kingdom. This is the ruler of the known world. He has more power than anyone else. And because of the decree he made in his power, he was unable to do anything. And he sought the counsel of anyone. He panicked. He knew this was wrong. He knew he was tricked. He didn't want to see Daniel die. 
and he spent all day running around. He panicked. And at the end of the day, when he could find no result, no resolve, no one could help him help Daniel, he put Daniel in the lion's den. Now, there's a bit of foreshadowing here to Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Because Daniel is put in this den, this cave. It wouldn't have been a cave you walk into because then the lions can get out. Okay, it's probably some sort of hole, some way that the lions can't get up. And uh, these lions are kept fairly hungry. And it sounds like this would probably have been a regular mode of punishment people knew about. And so they put Daniel in it, and he rolled a stone over the mouth of the opening of this cave that likely is down in the ground, put a seal on it. We see the same thing with Jesus, that Jesus' body is put in a tomb. The stone is rolled. The seal is put there. No one's to move it. There's a, a royal decree, as it were. Daniel is fighting for his life with lions. Jesus is fighting against the very power of death. Both seem hopeless. What is the result of this response? So Daniel prays. The officials, they plot. The king panics. What's the result? Because when we're faced with a choice, we have kind of the, the black and white extremes of I'm going to follow God's way or no way I'm doing my own thing. And then there's lots of gray area kind of in between. So we just have three examples of how you can choose in a situation like this. What's the result? Well, for the king who panicked, the result of his choice to panic, guess what the result is? He continues to panic. All night long, he's troubled. Okay, so he's, he's tossing and turning. Verse 18 says this. Then the king returned to his palace. He spent the night fasting. Okay, we don't get a lot of context on why or who he... But because he said to Daniel, may your God rescue, it seems from the context that this king had tried everything in his own power as God to rescue Daniel and couldn't and turned his heart to the God of Daniel. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep that night. With all his power and his position, he could not rescue Daniel. There's nothing he could do. Tossed and turned all night. First thing in the morning, he shows up at this cave, at this lion's den. Context makes it seem like he's the first guy there. Before his officials, I don't know what to do with this thing. I'm apologizing. I'll try it up here. That's, that's annoying to me too, right? Uh, he's the first one there. And before he gets his guys to roll this stone away through the cracks in the rock, you know, because it wouldn't have been a perfect seal, he yells in to see if Daniel is okay. Verse 20. When he got there, he called out in anguish. He didn't sleep all night. He's troubled. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Somehow he knew the only hope was God. So the result of all his panic in that choice was more panic, more trouble. There's no resolution. And the only choice he had was to turn to God. What was Daniel's? What, what, what did, how did Daniel respond? Starts with P. What did Daniel do? Prayed. Okay, what's the result of his prayer? He, he was rescued. Verse 22. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and have not wronged you, your majesty. It says that not a hair on his head was harmed. An angel of the Lord came and protected him. God stood by him. Nothing touched. 
He was brought up out of the lion's den. And there is much rejoicing. Now, as in previous chapters, this has a great impact on the king, the known ruler of the world. And as Nebuchadnezzar did a few chapters ago, sending out a decree to the whole world saying that the God of Daniel is the true God. You should worship him. That's a big, big deal in that time. That's a big deal. Darius does the same thing. He says this, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. Verse 27, he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's a big deal to come from a king. Big, big deal. How did they know who Daniel was? So you're like in the furthest of the 120 provinces. You're maybe a captive people. You know, you've been conquered. You're living under the Medo-Persian Empire, but maybe you don't, you know, you just bow your knee and you give your tribute and stuff like that. And you get this decree delivered, whether it's, you know, written and read or they just send town criers or whatever they did. This decree went everywhere. How did they know who Daniel was? Well, it seems that that story went with it. And they had heard already what God had been doing in and through the life of Daniel. People knew, or at least knew when this decree came, who Daniel was and what God had done. Because if you got a decree, you know, that Bob has been rescued from the terrible might of the poisonous donut filling, you'd be like, who's Bob and how did the donuts get poisoned? I don't even know. It's different. They knew. God was working very deeply. What's the result for those officials? King Darius had them, their wives, and their children. And it kind of echoes back. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. It's not like he just punished the, the, the person, whether we think that's fair or not. That was their law. That was their custom. He took the whole family and fed them to the lions. And in case you're thinking, well, these are well-fed lions, well-behaved, good job Medo-Persian trainer to make sure that Daniel can get in there and, you know, just sit with these kind cats. It says, before the families hit the ground. So it doesn't seem like they lowered them in nicely. They threw them in. Before they hit the ground, they were torn to shreds. It's not a nice picture. <laughs> Someone say, ew. <laughs> what are we going to do? How are we going to decide this way? See, there's lots of echoes forward in, in the New Testament. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them, give you, give my followers life, abundant life, full and satisfying life. God wants for our blessing. I'm not talking prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying, hey, if you pray three times a day, God's going to give you money and houses and everything your heart's desires. He's going to give you what you deeply need in your soul, an abundant life, regardless of what happens around you. So that when a choice comes to follow God's way and suffer consequences or follow the world's way and have some ease, you'll not only know how to choose, but you'll be prepared to do it. Now, we, we don't often have that choice, do we, in North America? You don't have a daily choice to follow God or die. Most of us don't have that. 
Unfortunately, much of the rest of the world of our Christian brothers and sisters suffer that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Following God is, is a difficult choice. And we may never experience that in our lifetime. We probably will. Uh, if Scripture is correct and if we're in the last days, there's likely some persecution and big choices to come for us. So let's revisit our questions. Will you choose to follow Jesus when the cost is high? How will you prepare for that challenge? Uh, Daniel chose God when the stakes were high. Why? Because he had developed a life of devotion to God. He had developed a life of devotion to God. It, it's, it's what he spent his time doing. That's why you know, three times a day he prayed. You can skip to the next slide there, Jim. Um, so he had developed this life of devotion to God. He didn't develop it under persecution necessarily. He did some things in his private world when things weren't as difficult. And it bore such fruit in his public life that others began to see why. And even the officials who I'm sure cared nothing about Daniel's private prayer life, knew when he prayed, why he prayed, and knew something of the fruit of his life came from that. That is amazing. I am so sorry about this thing. I don't know what to do. I'm going to grab the other one. Let's do that. And if it doesn't work, it's Matt's fault. Okay, let's try that. There we go. I... Thankfully, that didn't, well, I wasn't in the mic. Matt, you're doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> that, wasn't a, that wasn't a very good plug to, to volunteer for AV. You, you have your pastor shout you down from the front. How, how could you do such a bad job uh, with me moving around and a broken piece of equipment? All right. Let's all come back. My fault. I took us out. Let's come back. He had developed a life of devotion to God. All right. Look at this picture. This is a tree. That one in the middle above the hosta there, that's a tree in our backyard. And it is the longest lasting tree. We've been in our house for about 15 years, okay? And so it, uh, it, it was the longest lasting one. Other trees we had to take down. We've had all sorts of stuff where no other plants lived. Nothing. We had to do all sorts of stuff. That's a long story. That's the longest living thing. Now, last year, that tree didn't look so good. Didn't look so hot. Only had some leaves on a few of them, a few of the branches. And so I asked some people here who know what they're doing with gardening stuff, because I have no idea. I phoned the nursery where we uh, had bought some other things. I Googled stuff, and I did all sorts of things with watering and soil stuff and pruning, and I did whatever I could. And this year, amazingly, it got worse. And uh, there are only like a couple little tiny little shooty things at, at, the at the top of the trunk and the bottom of where the branches were. And so I decided, well, I'm going to give this thing one more shot. We had pulled out the hosta at the bottom. Somebody said, oh, you should never have this at the bottom. It's taking all the food, and we just thought it looked nice. Who knows? So I thought, I'm going to prune this thing down, give it one more chance. And so I leaned against the tree to get, you know, and it kind of wiggled. And I thought, okay. And so I tipped it over. I didn't even have to give any effort, and it came out. Here, here's, here's what it looked like last week. This last week. L look at, 
you guys are good gardeners, right? You can come to my house and help. Look at the roots. What, what, do, you notice about the, what do you notice about the roots? Anyone? What, what do you see right away? Because you gasp for some reason. What do you notice about the roots? Too small? What else? Too shallow, clung together. What's that? Tangled. Yeah. So the roots weren't healthy at all. So I was trying all this stuff above the surface, right? And above the surface to make this tree healthy. I'm pruning it. I'm watering it. I'm trying to put stuff in the water. Uh, and all the while, the roots beneath the surface were unhealthy. New Testament has a lot to say about roots. L Luke 8.13 says, The seeds on the rocky uh, soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots... They believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Ephesians 3.17 Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. Colossians 2.7 Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Daniel had deep roots. He had done work in the private part of his life that no one sees and that bore fruit in the public part of his life and it got in a positive cycle the roots nourished the tree your relationship with God who you are just you and your God make a difference on how you live and how you prepare behind the scenes under the surface with God will determine whether you'll be able to choose God's way or not and how prepared you are to do that. How do you develop deep roots? Strong roots need healthy stuff, healthy nourishment. All right, often with uh, plants, for me, I focus on the outside stuff. Are they getting enough water? Is there some mulch? Is the sun shining? Is it in shade? Did I put this stuff that I bought at the nursery and haven't used for three years? Did I do that? No, I didn't, so I should do that. And I focus on this surfacey kind of stuff, but there's stuff going on underneath. A few years ago, we had uh, this like invasive weed thing that we thought was a wonderful, lovely ground cover, and uh, it killed everything. And so I ripped the plants up, the weeds up. We cleared the whole flower bed. And then I went and got a little bit of a tiller, and, uh, uh, and I kind of stirred it all up, and there was lots of root systems, but the, the tiller got them. Next year, it grew back with ferocity. And I, I went and I asked, I said, well, I don't understand. I pulled the plants up. I got most of the roots out, and I even took this tiller, and they, they gave me some term for what that is. But basically, I just helped the roots spread underneath, like way, way better, right? We've got to pay attention to what's going on underneath. What happens in your private life, in your... Uh, I hate to say your personal relationship with Jesus, because our relationship with Jesus is not personal. Uh, people should be able to see it, and that's why we're a church. We help one another with that. How can we develop that kind of dependence and devotion to God? Throughout uh, history, uh, even in Jesus' day, the, the Jews would have prayed several times a day, and, and what the early Christians did is they followed that practice. 
because they were Jews first, and so they did the only thing they knew. They prayed several times a day. And early on in church history, they found that the distractions of the world um, were keeping people from God. Anybody there? Yeah, absolutely. Stuff going on in your life distract you from focusing on God throughout the day. I'm not talking about just quiet time. I'm talking about your life in general. So they implemented something that today we translate in English as the daily office. Multiple times throughout the day to connect with God. Now that word office is actually a Latin word for work. What they were saying is the work of a follower of Jesus is to connect deeply and regularly with God. And so in some of their monastic communities, in some of the desert communities, they set apart set times of prayer with God where everyone would get alone with their Heavenly Father. They typically did five times a day. Some went up to seven or nine. It's most practical for most people to be able to do between one and three. What's most important about that is they made a plan. Here's the reality. If we don't make a plan to spend regular time with God and to nourish our roots so that our private and public life are set and prepared for choices like this, maybe it's not life and death, but serious, because sometimes the stakes are high. If we don't make a plan, we won't follow through. All right, so all of us, well, most of us, if you're like me, have like set apart a plan to get healthy, right? You want to get fit, you want to eat properly, you want to get in shape, all these things. If you make a plan that sounds something like this, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to eat healthy, and I'm going to exercise. Vag, 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 right? So I'm going to get up early. So the alarm kind of buzzes at whenever, and you're like, oh, you got some more time. You don't have a plan. And I'm going to kind of exercise. Well, you haven't got your exercise equipment. You don't have a plan. You don't have anything together. And you're going to kind of sort of eat healthy, but you still got all your junk in your house. You haven't bought anything healthy. You actually don't even know what you're going to make. But you're going to wake up early and exercise and eat well. In order for a plan to be followed through, you have to have some specifics for it. So what I encourage you to start with is when. Okay, when. When will you meet with God? Okay, it's typical for most people to connect once. I would encourage you, uh, I would actually tell you that once a day is not enough. It's not enough for me, and I've discovered that for years and years and years. I've preached this several times, that my morning quiet times are great, but by mid-afternoon or night, if I forget about God... I just have forgotten all I've learned, and I'm off course, and we need regular times to connect. So when are you going to do that? And I would encourage that at least that one time a day, you give God your best. I'm a morning person, so mornings are best for me before anyone's up. Love to do that in the quiet, spend time with God. But I also have to plan when throughout the day. And so uh, oftentimes on my watch, I have a 12.30 little alarm just to remind me in the middle of the day just to quickly connect with God. I'm not talking about taking an hour away and you know, doing anything really intense. Even just throughout the day and before bed, then connecting again. Something reasonable, something practical, but you have to decide when you're going to do it. Then you need to decide what. Now this is where people often stumble and, and have a hard time. Pick what you're going to do. Here's a few ideas. Emotionally healthy spirituality says include these components in your time alone with God. Stopping. Stop what you're doing. Slow down. Don't just kind of read on the run. Don't just, you know, listen to an audio devotional in the, in the car. Actually stop. Center yourself on God. 
take some silence and incorporate scripture. Scripture is the most important. Church renewal, who uh, that's where we get the Hearing God seminar, set free retreats, our prayer gatherings, all those types of things. I'm in mentoring with them every week. They, they encourage us to focus on scripture, listen for a message, uh, focus on obedience. What's the, like, what is God practically calling you to? Give time for repentance. There's probably something that you need to confess and repent and then spend time in speaking and listening prayer. Here's the habits that I've found most helpful for me. Stillness. This is a new thing for me in the past couple years. Slowing down. Now, I started to slow down when I started to journal about eight years ago, and I just hated journaling. I, I'm like, my brain's always going, and I hate slowing down, and I hate being inefficient, and I love being quick and purposeful and getting into God's word quick. I loved it like five minutes. I read this, and I know what God's telling me, and I tell God what he's telling me, and I'm ready to go and do the thing I told God that he's telling me, and game on, right? That's the way I used to love to spend time with God, because it worked for like 15 minutes, right? Slowing down, being still, journaling, reading your Bible. Now, devotions aren't bad. I use devotion every day, or at least right now in this season. But if your devotional is not taking you to a passage or a verse you can focus on, um, then it's just someone's opinion. It's good to read stories, all of those things. But when we read someone else's stories or thoughts about God, it's the same as listening to a sermon. You can decide, I disagree with that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's very easy to do that. When you're faced just you and God with his word, you have to either accept or reject him. It's, it's a pretty stark thing. Uh, listening prayer. Listen. Ask God questions. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He's waiting to spend time with you. He doesn't just want you rattling off a list, but speaking your prayers to God is effective. We, we meet uh, a group of us on Sunday mornings. Anyone's welcome. It's on Zoom. You can do it before you come to church, pre-service prayer, and we share things and we pray, and it's incredibly encouraging. So we need to pray. Study. Have some devotion. Learn some things. Crack a study Bible or a commentary. Dig a little deeper. And then you're speaking prayers, I said. The importance is to know what you'll do. So pick when. Pick what you'll do. Have it ready. Because if you have to decide you're going to wake up early, okay? Let's say you normally wake up around 7 and you think, I'm going to wake up at 6.30. And you wake up and you don't know where you're going to read, what you're going to do, where you're going to go to do this thing. You're just going to roll over and you give Satan actually a little bit of a foothold because right there you have a battle that you don't need to face. You decide ahead of time, you don't even have to face him. It's already done. You've won and defeated him ahead of time and you just go spend time with God because you know where you're going to do, go, you know what you're going to do and when. So where is the last one? Where are you going to go and do this? Is there a place in your home that's quiet? Sometimes that switches for me depending on the time of year and whether it's warm outside, things like that, but at least know that. There is power in habit. As I said, deciding ahead. There's power in habit. Deciding ahead, uh, advanced decision-making, takes a lot of the power away from the enemy and others who try to defeat you. Daniel had a power of habit. The habit isn't the power. And if you try and do this in your own willpower, you'll fail every time. God intends it. He doesn't want you to do this in your willpower. He comes with you. He waits for you just to say, take the simple step of obedience, and he brings the strength. 
and the blessing you get through spending time with him, and sometimes it's hard to keep that habit up. It absolutely is. But he works in that, and he's with you. You're not alone trying to learn a new skill to impress God. You're spending time with the Father who created you. He wants to be with you more than you could ever want to be with him. So what do we do? What's the answer here? Develop a life of devotion to God to develop deep spiritual roots in God. Okay? Develop a life of devotion to God to develop deep spiritual roots in God. Our typical North American practice is not enough. It's just not enough. Inspiration. Let's think about inspiration. Being inspired once a week by someone online or someone up front is not enough to grow. Being inspired by someone once a week can push you in the right direction to obey, to get close to God, to be able to choose his way day in, day out. But living off of someone else's journey and being inspired by that, it's just not enough. It's, it's a piece. It's an important piece, but it's not enough. Dedication once in a while is not enough. Okay, some of us go to retreats or you have a significant Sunday or the milestones in your life where God has given you something uh, to do. You, you need to confess something, repent from something, make a decision. We go to things like some of you go to a Tres Diaz retreat or a youth retreat or you've gone to camp or you go to a special speaker or these times of devotion, they're good, they're valuable. But if your spirituality is based on the inspiration of someone up front once a week and these times of dedication once in a while, you won't have the strong roots you need to stand and follow God in the way you actually want and he wants you to. Devotions once a day, reading like uh, our daily bread or just something really, uh, you know, good. They're good. They're valuable. But if that's all you do for a couple minutes... That's a great start. That's a great start. But it's not enough to nourish you. Think about that tree. Like, would you rather be that tree or like a potted plant or like a redwood in California? Massive roots, tall tree. Like, God wants to strengthen you because he knows this. He knows you have storms ahead. And so we learn to listen to God in the quiet place alone when we have times alone with him. So that in the middle of the day, when our foreman's yelling at us, when things go sideways, when we're in class and, you know, we're, we're faced with a choice, whatever you do, wherever you are, something's going to happen to you that, like, you're not in control of, and you know a choice is on the line to follow God. If you don't know how to listen to God in the quiet, you won't be able to listen to God in the loud, in the difficult, in the persecution, in the trial, in the temptation. You just won't be able to do it. You won't have the strength. No wonder so many fall and fail. Failing and making mistakes is part of life. I don't hear condemnation in this. But what I want to do is encourage you to be strengthened. So, when I rely upon the faith of others to inspire me, it's good, but it's not enough. When I rely upon my own dedication or willpower to make a change, it's good, but short term. <laughs> I've been through that more times than I know. This time, God, we're serious. And two weeks later, I'm like, what was that thing I was going to do again? I can't, I can't remember. My willpower alone is not enough. And quick devotions out of duty won't build a relationship. 
might make you feel good for a little while. You can put like a little gold star, you know, for every day you do it and you feel good. But it's just not long lasting enough. We have an incredible God who loves us. He knows if you're heading towards a lion's den. He knows if you're headed towards a fiery furnace. He knows when you're put on the spot to interpret a dream. Maybe you're interpreting a dream for a king isn't interpreting a dream for a king. But it's something that you've been called to do that you don't think you can do and that only he can strengthen you to do. He knows those things are coming up. And he wants to spend time with you so that you strengthen. So that you have deep roots. My encouragement to you this morning is to develop a life of devotion to God so that you develop deep spiritual roots in God. Roots are not grown overnight. That's what shocked me so much about that tree. I've moved trees, right? That old. And like the roots, I was telling Stephanie, we can't move this thing. We'll have to get a stump grinder. We'll never plant something there. And this big pessimist, she was pleased <laughs> to see this thing fall over. Usually, the roots are at least as big as the foliage up top, right? Usually. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's the point of Daniel. We see chapter after chapter after chapter, the same thing happening again and again and again. Daniel with the choice to follow God's way and die or suffer some consequence or go with the way of the world and follow the gods around him and have a life of ease. And many, many Israelites did that. We know that because when they came back from captivity, their hearts were far from God within less than a generation. And so we don't want to be those people, do we? No. So I encourage you, make a plan. When will you spend time with God? Start with once a day. Move up from there. What will you do when you do it? And where will you go? And as you do, you'll develop a life of devotion to God that will develop deep spiritual roots in God. Just stand with me as we pray. Father God, thanks so much that we can uh, see in the life of Daniel um, a man of deep spiritual roots. Father, we thank you that each person we see in your word is a human just like us. They have the same opportunities. In fact, for us, God, um, knowing the fullness of the gospel that Daniel didn't have, the thing he looked forward to, knowing you in a way that Daniel couldn't quite because we have your spirit in us. Lord, may we all the more develop deep spiritual roots. May we be people who can stand during times of temptation and trial. I thank you for everyone watching and listening this morning. I pray we wouldn't just be inspired, but that we would change. And that when we look back in a month after the summer, after 2023 is done, we can see a, a greater spiritual growth. And Father, I pray for those who have consistent quiet times. And maybe this morning uh, they've thought, yeah, that, that's me, that's good. I, I ask that you would help them uh, to connect with you throughout the day, not just once, but to, to, so that we can learn a life of abiding in you moment by moment. And that the fruit of our lives would be seen and experienced by others to such a degree that what happened to Daniel with this king, that the king turned his heart to you through Daniel's life, would happen to us too.
The harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. And I pray that we would be workers with deep roots and that you would bring a great harvest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. If you're able to stack chairs, that would be much appreciated. Hope to see you next week. Lord bless you as you go.